Thank you for taking the time to view this message online. You can connect with us more through our comments section of this video, through our Facebook page, or through our website, nhgj.org. In our message series, Grown Spiritually, we've been looking at this idea of what it would be like if we as a church were growing together up in the Lord, much like an orchard, a planting of the Lord, where people are having the opportunity to grow up at different levels, but everybody with the desire to grow spiritually, to become fully mature spiritual adults in Christ. And uh, so this is really kind of the, the picture of what we've been looking towards. And we've been using passages, this whole section of scripture out of John chapter 13 and looking up through John chapter 17. It's a portion of teaching where Jesus is with the disciples uh, just prior to his crucifixion. And last week, we focused on this idea out of John chapter 15 of how Jesus revealed the identity of the disciples. And Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches. And then this other idea connected to that is that our calling and we along with the disciples, this calling is to bear fruit and not just once in our life. He says, your calling is to bear much fruit. So this is our identity. We aren't our own branch, our own vine. Uh, we aren't our own tree. We are part of the vine. Uh, we're a branch of it. And the fruit of our lives comes about by remaining in the vine. And Jesus points to the Father and says, my Father is the vine dresser, the vine keeper. So we see this relationship and what our identity is in relationship to Jesus, that it, it really, our life in Christ exists as we are connected to him. And apart from him, we have nothing. And so the encouragement from last week is to really find our identity. We have to be connected deeply to Jesus and our life and the fruit of our life flows out of that relationship. Well, now we come to John chapter 16 uh, in this message. And again, we have to put it in perspective. We have to remember that Jesus in speaking to the disciples uh, he is about to be crucified. He's going to be buried. He's going to resurrect and then ascend to the Father. And so he knows that he, the way that they have been relating, he and the disciples, that this isn't going to continue. Uh, he's not going to be in the flesh in front of them any longer, but it's all about to change. And, and so when you know that something's going to change, uh, especially a dramatic change that, that the disciples were about to experience. Um, you know, a, a, a helpful person, a, a parent, a leader, will do all that they can uh, to prepare them. But, but one of the ways that they prepare them is uh, by removing unnecessary confusion and pain so that the individual doesn't get lost in the midst of the change. And, and so effective leaders, of which Jesus is one, with his disciples, he does his best to remove some of this ambiguity or confusion. He, he tells them what's about to happen. Uh, I, I would liken this to growing up, uh, when I first learned to snow ski, uh, had, it was in high school, I had some, actually middle school, I uh, had some good friends that I went up and, and uh, uh, they were all already really good snow skiers. Uh, they, they could do really well 
in, in the snow. And so it was me who was lagging behind trying to learn this uh, for the first time. And so they taught me how to snow plow, uh, which is pointing your skis inward. And that's what slows you down and just showed me how to do that. Uh, but I would say within uh, just the, the first couple hours, they took me up on a high lift, um, a medium level uh, ability uh, run that they took me up to. And I struggled just to get off of the lift, but uh, made it out. And then uh, they, they took off and they said, use your snow plow, figure out how to get down and we'll see you. Uh, <laughs> and so it was really just kind of a good luck and make your way down the mountain. Now they weren't being mean, uh, they were just uh, young kids as was I, and they weren't really into the idea of hanging around and giving me lessons all day. And so I honestly wasn't really prepared for what I was about to experience, different conditions that I was ex going to experience. And so my anxiety was high, my concern, my frustration level was high. And uh, though I made it down after a couple hours, it wasn't the best experience. Uh, I did stick with snow skiing. I, I enjoy it to this day, um, but it wasn't because they helped me or they led me through that. I contrast this to Jerry and I, um, you know, some years ago, we went river rafting on the Deschutes River, uh, also in Central Oregon. And the guide, um, you know, was really good about preparing us for what we were going to experience. And so he didn't just put us in the raft and say, hey, we're going to have a good time and, and then allow us to get caught off guard when the rapids came. Uh, right from the beginning, while we were still kind of connected into the, the launch area. Uh, he showed us how to sit properly on, on the raft. He showed us where to place our paddle. He showed us how to position our body when the rapids came so that we wouldn't fall off of the raft. Um, all of these things, because when the rapids came and it got a little bit more scary, he didn't want us to get caught off guard for what we were going to experience and wanted us to be able to focus on what mattered uh, in, in the moment and not get lost or sidetracked. And so this is true when people care about uh, other people, when they're facing change, they do their best. They don't add difficulty by adding the element of surprise. We remove as much surprise as we can and we let them focus on surviving the change itself. And really this is Jesus in this moment. Uh, if we were to flip back to John 15, uh, after the portion about the, the vine and the branches and the, and the vine dresser, he begins to tell them that some really difficult things are going to happen. He says, listen, the world has hated me since I've been in the world. They've been uh, coming against me all this time and they've hated me. If they hated me, they're going to hate you. Just a heads up, he tells them, uh, listen, it's not going to go easy for you. It didn't go easy for me. And so he gives them this idea and, and, and gives them a heads up that, that, that they're not going to experience easy waters, that there's going to be some rapids ahead. And then he continues in chapter 16, uh, suggesting to them, listen, you're going to think that they'll embrace you, that you're going to bring the kingdom to them, that, that you're going to have this great redemption message and that they would embrace you. But he says, instead, they will think that they are doing God a favor by killing you. He says, talk about a shocker. <laughs> You're going to think that because the kingdom of God is at hand and there's healing and deliverance and, you know, this great message that the Messiah has come. He said, listen, you're going to think this 
Um, but really, they're going to do the opposite, and it's going to catch you off guard. Uh, they're going to think they're doing God a favor by actually killing you. So the question would come, why? <laughs> in these last moments before he's going to be crucified, in these intimate moments where he could be doing this teaching, why is he telling them these things? Is it just to depress them? Is it, is it to make them feel bad about what's about to happen and concerned? That, that's really not it at all. Uh, in fact, in John 16, 1, Jesus says this is this very important thing, and this helps give it all context. He says, I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. And, and that's really the point. He says, this is why I've told you these things. It's not to depress you. It's not to cause fear to rise up. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to uh, just, just make you want to run away from this moment. He says, I'm telling you all of this stuff that you're going to face challenges and oppression. You're going to face people who hate you. Uh, you're going to face people who want to kill you. He says, I tell you all of this stuff so that you won't fall away, that you won't think it's strange, as Peter would say later on in his letters, that, that they wouldn't think it's strange that they're facing all kinds of trials and hardships and persecutions. Jesus says, they did this to me, they'll do it to you as well. And, and so he knew that things were changing, everything, their relationship, but also the relationship that they were going to have to the people around them and in their communities. He was going to die, resurrect and go to the Father, and they would feel it. They would feel such heartache. They would feel such, uh, so many great challenges. And, and so, again, Jesus isn't saying, I'm, I'm pushing a message of fear, but I'm trying to take the element of surprise out of it because these things are going to be hard. And if you know it's coming, my hope, my desire in telling you these things is that you will remain. And so in this message out of John 16, we're going to see how Jesus' instructions to the disciples went way beyond just words of caution about the changes that were coming, but he actually gives them the encouragement that the Holy Spirit is coming also. So he says, yes, you are going to experience difficulties. You are going to experience hardship, but he says, you're also going to receive the Holy Spirit. So it's good that I go to the Father because the Holy Spirit is coming. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to be living and, and experiencing life with you, but it's good that I go to the Father because then the Holy Spirit is going to come. And you're going to experience ministry at a whole different level when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So let us pray, and then we'll look at John chapter 16, beginning in verse 12, about the work of the Holy Spirit, because he not only came for the disciples, but he has come for us as well. And then we can have a better understanding of what it means to live and do the ministry that Jesus has called us to. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your word that it is living and it just empowers us. We thank you for um, letting us be aware of what's coming and what has come, but also what is coming in life. And so that we're not caught off guard, that we can remain with you. Uh, thank you for caring enough about us, your compassion and, and uh, your faithfulness to us to help us to remain and, and be with you through even the most difficult of times. And thank you for the Holy Spirit uh, who has come to us and, and just empowers us to know you more deeply and be ready for the changes that we experience. We thank you for it, Lord. Amen. Well, I'm reading from John 16, uh, verses 12 through 15. 
I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Now, one of the first things I see in this is just how compassionate the Lord is. <laughs> he says, there's many things still to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. Oh, that's so loving and compassionate. When Jesus knows all that's going to unfold, uh, he knows all the details of their abandonment. He knows what it's going to look like when the cross and he's, he bears the cross. Um, and, and I think many of us can identify with this. Um, you know, there are times that it just feels like we, there's so much that's happening. And um, the, the reality is, is that it's in God's compassion and in his mercy that things that are yet to come are not revealed to us now. And again, that's not meant to be uh, a downer. It's not meant to cause us fear. It's just meant to say it's God's mercy that he reveals to us only a certain amount at a time because he just knows we couldn't bear the weight of it in our human capacities and our human limitations. Boy, I just know that in my lifetime, it's so good that God didn't tell me things that were waiting for me a month away because if I had seen them, I would have ran. Uh, you know, the, the Lord is just compassionate to reveal things um, as we're able to bear up under them. So Jesus need, gives us what we need so we can remain with him. He doesn't reveal things to us just for kind of shock and awe, but he reveals them so that we'll be prepared when they come our way. And how does he give it? How does he say in this passage that he reveals things to us? Well, that's the Holy Spirit. He says the Holy Spirit is coming and he's going to reveal this to you. The Holy Spirit speaks things that are consistent with Jesus because they actually come from Jesus. Uh, Jesus indicates that they're coming from him. The Holy Spirit isn't just giving us things from just the Holy Spirit. He says, the Holy Spirit is giving you things that come from me. And this follows right in line with the example that we see of Jesus in his own life. He told the disciples, he says, I'm not giving you my own stuff. I'm giving you the things that the Father has given to me. And so the couple things that I want us to see out of this is that the Holy Spirit empowers the disciples with two types of power. And it's the same type of power that we experience today. Uh, the empowering of the Spirit comes, one, it's the power of knowing what Jesus is saying. And so this is what Jesus is telling the disciples about. The Spirit of truth is coming and he will disclose to you my thoughts, my instructions, my plans, and my discernment. And so this is a gift. This is such a powerful gift that the Holy Spirit imparts to us the ability to know what it is that Jesus is saying. And so he gives us this heavenly understanding, things that would not be clear to us just in our, our own abilities. He discloses uh, these things that Jesus is speaking. So he, again, he's taking from heaven and he's bringing it to earth through the Holy Spirit. And so this is one type of power. The other type of power that the Holy Spirit brings, uh, we see it in Acts chapter one, and it's the power of doing what Jesus is doing. 
And I specifically mention that it's not what Jesus did because what we do and what the Holy Spirit imparts to us, these are the works, the acts of Jesus Christ. This is what he's been doing and he continues to do it, but he does it through us. And uh, Acts 1.8 says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And so this word power, it's such an awesome picture. It's, it's really kind of connected to this idea of dynamite. You're going to receive dynamite power uh, when the Holy Spirit descends upon you. And that was really evident right from the beginning when the Holy Spirit came upon the first disciples and they began to speak in other tongues. Uh, they began to set the captives free. They began to uh, see miraculous signs and wonders of healing, of deliverance, uh, raising of the dead. And so all of this was under the power of the Holy Spirit that was poured out upon the disciples. And, and so this, this second type of power is critical for our witness. That we're not just speaking a witness of mental understanding of Jesus, we're speaking a witness of kingdom of God power and, and testimony of the kingdom of God is at work today. And so this is an important part of our witness. I want to I go back to that first type of power, though, and the power of understanding, because really in the passage in John 16, this is the type of power that Jesus is speaking about with the Holy Spirit coming to the disciples to impart truth. And, and this is where I really want to focus uh, the last part of this message, is around this impartation of truth that the Holy Spirit brings to us. And uh, I think this is really critical. In fact, this is maybe one of the most critical messages I've spoken over the last few weeks, if not months, uh, because it pertains so much, uh, this idea of truth, it pertains so much to the culture and the environment in which we find ourselves living right now. Uh, in, in this day and age, uh, all around us, there's this battle for who holds truth. Uh, what is truth? Where are we getting truth from? And uh, relativism, which is a predominant cultural uh, approach or, or a lens, worldview, uh, through which people are living, uh, it speaks of it or it defines truth as your truth or my truth, really suggesting that there is no actual truth. There's only truth that is relative to me or truth that is relative to you in your situations. And so truth is never a fixed uh, reality, it is a, uh, a moving target that al is always relative to the individual and what they're experiencing. And, and so this is one form of truth that's prevalent in our culture right now. Uh, in terms of news media, um, we're seeing, uh, seeing it spoken or we're hearing it spoken out in terms of fake news or real news, uh, which which really it's, it's just it's such a funny way of describing news as fake or real uh, because all news sources, uh, wherever you're getting your news from, uh, the, the intent is uh, it will push you in a direction. Uh, it just means when we say it's real news, it just means that we're agreeable with the direction they're pushing us. Um, that's what, or we're agreeable to them doing it uh, that way. 
but you'll find this all the time if you read a story. Uh, the picture, if it's a negative light or they want to, you to feel a certain thing, uh, they'll choose the picture of the person with their mouth half open and their hair disheveled and they want you to think negatively of the person. So it's never a favorable picture. If they want you to think positively of the person, they'll show them in a strong position, really put together, and you'll look at that picture and you'll think they're really together. Uh, I have a lot of fun looking at news stories and reading the bias of whatever it is that they're trying to tell you because um, absolutely whatever your source is, they're biased. So we just have to understand it and then just recognize we aren't getting real news versus fake news. We're getting bias in all of our news sources. It's just a matter of understanding which bias they're pushing our way and uh, how agreeable are we to it. So it's in this environment. So, so that's out there. We know that's out there in the culture around us, the world in which we live right now. Relativism and this idea of fake versus real and where are we getting truth from. And uh, it's, it, it's in this environment that uh, many pastors and leaders in the church, uh, individuals, have really attempted to fight for truth as sola scriptura or what we might identify as biblical truth, that we're trying to anchor back to this idea that there is identifiable truth and it comes from Jesus. And we find it in scripture, we find it as an impartation of the Holy Spirit. Um, but in, in the process of trying to hold to this idea of biblical truth, uh, we've actually found that many in the church are not asking if it's biblical, but instead are looking through political lens and ideological lenses and asking if it's conservative or liberal. Now, I've listened and watched uh, over the past couple years uh, as many Christian leaders and pastors like myself have faced really a movement of political conservatism that is attempting to wrap Jesus in a banner made of an image of man and call it truth because it's perceived to be closer to biblical truth than what uh, liberals may offer. And, and so, you know, this has been a real challenge because the polarizing message that the draw from many within the church has been to redefine uh, truth, not from biblical perspectives, but through these lenses of conservative or liberal. Now this, I would call it an assault really, because our goal, our desire as followers of Jesus should always be, again, biblical truth. What is it that Jesus has said? What is it that scripture teaches? And so this assault has not really come from outside the church, I mean, to some degree, but, but really it's come from within, including many individuals who write blogs, they, they have podcasts, they have podiums, and many of them are dividing the church uh, for political gains. Uh, they're, they're looking at it through this lens and, and they're dividing out people within the church if they're on this side or they're, they're on that side. And, and maybe you've heard it too. Uh, it's really been hurtful to my heart to hear high profile Christian leaders, many who uh, I've heard over the years, I've followed teachings. Uh, one of them is a prominent prayer uh, teaching. Another one is a prominent uh, person who's involved in work of uh, helping individuals who are in suffering and, and difficult situations, but they have waded into this idea of pushing people within the church and dividing the church out into pol political uh, left or right. Um, and, and so this, this issue is difficult because many of these leaders have 
labeled uh, other Christians with words like cowards or timid or passive because leaders like myself wouldn't drink from the cup of political power and align Jesus in scripture with a leader of their choosing. And, and so they really get divisive in their words and they try and create uh, split up uh, within the church these, these two groups. And it's, it's honestly really destructive because uh, Christ is always, and the church has always been called to this point of unity around Jesus, not around political conservatism or liberalism. And, and this isn't anything new. Uh, it, it's present in this age and is really accentuated in our immediate culture, but this has gone on since the church has existed. So I'm not talking about something new, but I am saying it's unique to our current environment. Uh, and it's, it's got a really strong pull. And we really have some strong people uh, and voices and leaders within the church who are at the forefront of this, creating these divisions. So let me point to this idea, and, and I'm gonna go just a little bit longer on this because I know it's one of those hot topics, but it's a hot topic because it needs to be addressed within the church. Um, listen, conservative truth or liberal truth, listen, that's not truth as the Lord defines it. Um, conservatism, uh, that is not truth as the Lord defines it. Uh, it's compromise for the purpose of grasping earthly authority and power. Now, some people may say conservatism, it's a good thing, it's healthy for the church, but I would push back against that and say it's a watered down type of gospel. Um, and for those that accept their gospel watered down, they may drink from that and they may like that. But I, I feel like as a leader and as a pastor shepherding New Horizons, I just wanna make it really clear. I have neither the time nor the passion or desire within me to wrap Jesus in an image of truth as conservatives or liberals define it. Jesus Christ is the living word. He is the living gospel. He is the word become flesh. And as we read a couple of weeks ago out of John chapter 14, verse six, he is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. And no amount of human authority or power, conservative or liberal, will entice me to lead our church or to lead the, and speak about the gospel in terms of political lenses. Uh, this is, he is the truth. And we're always, at New Horizons, we're always going to focus on biblical truth. We're always gonna go back to what it means to receive truth from the Holy Spirit as the scripture reveals it, as the Holy Spirit enlightens it. And so this, this calling that I feel as a pastor and as a shepherd isn't to be drawn into these battles of cowardice and liberalism and conservatism. It is, is it biblical? That's the question I'm always going to press on us because there are ideas that some would say, well, that's a liberal idea. But you know, there's a liberal, some liberal ideas are more biblical than their conservative counterpart. And there's some conservative views that are more biblical than their liberal counterpart. So if we're asking if it aligns with those two political views, we're asking the wrong question. The view of the Christian should always be, is it truth as the Holy Spirit has unveiled it? And as it directs us to the word and it opens us up to hear the truth from Jesus. He takes it, he imparts it to the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit speaks it to us. These other enticements are for political gain and influence in the culture around us. 
this is not the way of the gospel. This is not the way that Jesus is leading us. So coming towards the end of our time, so I know I've given you a lot to think about and uh, discussion maybe, and some may be puzzled as to why I'm addressing conservatism uh, in a negative light, even though many would say, and, and I would agree, that many of my worldviews align me to being more conservative. And, and to this, uh, I would say it's because an overwhelming majority of people attending evangelical churches align with conservatism. And so what I'm essentially saying is that I know that in the crowd who's watching this and who's in on a Sunday morning service and who's connecting with our churches, uh, overwhelmingly uh, we know that they align with conservatism. And we also know that from over 2,000 years of church history is that what impedes and threatens the life of the church is not the attacks that it faces from the outside, but it's the attacks and the decay that happens from within the church. <laughs> it is the church being lulled into accepting a pseudo gospel that is close to what Jesus offers, but it's not enough to change people. And that is the very thing that I'm pushing back again. I don't want conservatism in the church. I don't want liberalism in the church. I want biblical Christian life. I want discipleship for Jesus in the church because that's life-giving. I want the truth of, that the Holy Spirit imparts to the church because that's life-changing, because that's the gospel that will bring people from death into life, that will help the lame receive their, their healing and be able to walk again. That's for the one who's lived under a cloud and has not been able to see a way forward. Conservatism won't help them, it won't save them. It won't set them free. Liberalism won't bring them their life that they need. The gospel of Jesus Christ will set them free. And so this is the direction we're, we're leading from. And this is the direction that I'm working towards in the church is to push back and get conservatism as an ideology out of the core of the church. And, and the reason you don't hear me talking much on the liberal side is because it's not as pervasive in our circles such as New, Horizon, New Horizons. And so in this, in this regard, uh, you know, we, we don't want to substitute biblical with conservatism because it's a weak form. It's not a gospel. It's an ideology. The gospel is the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And, and this is the truth, the real truth that's going to set people free. Now, let me point a way forward because, you know, as people of Jesus, we are hope-filled. Uh, we're not just cautionary, uh, which is what most of this has been. Uh, we're not just talking about what to avoid, but we are people of destiny and purpose, and we point people to a real hope and a real direction we find in Jesus. And, and so let me emphasize this. The Holy Spirit will help you remain with Jesus as you focus on biblical truth and put all things under the Spirit's authority. And, and so when Jesus was speaking to the disciples, he, he did tell them some hard things. He said, listen, they're going to put you out of the synagogue and uh, they're going to believe those outside of this, you know, you who are my disciples, they're going to put you out of the synagogue and they will want to kill you thinking that they're helping God. Again, this wasn't to depress them. This was to help them remain with Jesus. And, and I want to encourage you in the same light. Listen, I'm, I'm not trying to just push on buttons and be the, be the counter voice, uh, what they might say, devil's advocate. Um, I'm not taking on that role. What, I, what I'm trying to do is point you in, in a direction that helps you remain with Jesus. 
because your political views won't help you remain with Jesus. Only receiving the fullness of the Spirit, remaining in Scripture, and staying in the raft with Jesus will help you remain with him. This is not an anti-this, anti-that message. It is a message that warns us all together that change is happening. Change is happening in the world all around us. And it's a caution that says, listen, because change is happening, you, you need to hold fast to the Holy Spirit. You need to hold fast and listening regularly to what the Holy Spirit is imparting from Scripture and from your times with Jesus. This is how we remain with him. And this is Jesus' words to the disciples. This is what his heart was all about. W wasn't just to warn them about things, but to say, I tell you this so that my hope is that you'll remain with me. You, you won't get thrown out of the raft. And so more change is coming. <laughs> more change is coming in the, the world in which we live. And I want you to remain with Jesus. If, if you're holding tightly to conservatism, it's not going to sustain you. If you're looking to a political party or a particular leader who's going to carve out the pathway forward, I'm telling you ahead of time, <laughs> and, and I have all of church history, I have history to, to reinforce this, and I have what Jesus teaches to reinforce it. Don't hold on to a person. Don't hold on to a political leader. Don't hold on to a political party. Take hold firmly of Jesus, and don't attach Jesus to that political party or that person. It will not sustain Christ alone, sola scriptura, the word alone. And so you're holding tightly to him. And the Holy Spirit will help you remain with Jesus as you focus on biblical truth and you put all things under his authority. That will help you remain with him. The second thing I wanna just help, help to emphasize out of this is that Jesus isn't changing the world by taking control of systems. He's changing the world as his people are making disciples of all nations. And this is the truth of what our commission is. Uh, when we talk about remaining with Jesus, I'm not just talking about in our thinking or in our practice, those are helpful. But when I talk about remaining with Jesus, I'm talking about in our commissioning, what our obedience and what he's asked us to do. Jesus has not asked us to prop up political systems and political figures. Jesus has asked us to go and make disciples of all nations. And those disciples are disciples of Jesus himself. We are to teach them to obey everything he has commanded us. And so he's not interested in us grasping hold of majority status so that we can change a system and somehow influence people to behave rightly. That's not discipleship. Discipleship is me asking you this. When was the last time you sat down with your neighbor and you shared the gospel? When was the last time you walked with somebody through the scriptures, through an issue, so that they understood how biblically their life could align with God and find a purpose? When was the last time that we, church, that we were vibrant in our discipleship experience, that we connected with somebody who we know doesn't have a relationship with Jesus, and we began a discipling relationship with them? one step at a time, one day at a time, one week at a time, helping to bring them to Christ. He is changing the world as his people, followers of Jesus like you and I, if you're watching this and you know Jesus, he is making disciples of all nations. That's his plan. There is no structure where he disciples a nation through a, na through a nation or through a political system. Uh, that's not how he does it. One person at a time through 
this discipling process where you disciple another and another after that, and then that person disciples another. That was Jesus's method. That's what he gave us. And he says, you go and do likewise. And, and so in many ways, my push against this idea of seeing the church through this lens of conservative or liberal is because it will not accomplish the work that Jesus has. It is a distraction from what Jesus Christ has mandated us to do, which is to love God, love our neighbor, and go and make disciples of all nations. Can you use those labels? Sure. I mean, again, it, it, it's not that I'm trying to, to uh, as a pastor, uh, be heavy-handed in my approach, but I will tell you that my, part of my goal is to push conservatism and to push liberalism out of the language and push political ideology out of the primary conversations that we have as a church because we primarily are a discipling movement that speaks biblical, that speaks Jesus, that speaks Holy and Spirit-inspired words and understanding and connects people to that and not to the viewpoints that exist out in the world. So that's where we're going. It's part of the overall direction that we're going. I know some of you will have questions. Some of you will wonder what that looks like, but I would just encourage you always to go back to this question. Don't ask. <laughs> Your primary question shouldn't be, is it conservative or is it liberal? When, when I'm addressing something and when I'm leading from something, my primary question is, is it biblical? And that's where I'm moving us towards. That's where I'm leading from. And that's where I want us to see us grow as a community of people rooted deeply in Jesus, sustained out of the life with Jesus, imparted with the Holy Spirit, finding our truth, finding the truth in Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life. Let me pray as we close. And uh, may we walk deeply in the truth that he impar has imparted to us and continues to feed to us and provide to us through the Holy Spirit. Lord, we thank you for this time in the word. I pray that you would help us to be a church that is focused in unity in biblical realities. And Lord, help us to weed out that divisiveness that exists even within your church. Unfortunately, God, it's, we, it's filtered in so much with people who have talked uh, about these two polar opposites and they've tried to introduce it into the church. May we be people who always point back to you, Jesus, who always point back to you as the truth, always point back to your word as the truth, who always are submitted to and listening to the Holy Spirit as our way to receive truth. And so we thank you, Lord. Help us not to get pulled in, drawn into the ways that the world interprets or speaks of truth. But God, we are a chosen people, a unique people, a holy people set apart for your purposes. And so in this, God, we need to have a unique voice, a voice that speaks of things in different ways, in, in ways that impart biblical understanding and as a revelation of what it's like when the kingdom of God comes. God, you can do it, and you've given your Holy Spirit for it. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask you to empower us to receive as you impart truth to us. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, God bless you as you seek truth in Christ and as it's imparted to you through the Holy Spirit. You can find more resources for this service at nhgj.org. 
email us your prayer requests to prayer at nh4gj.org. If you are a new follower of Jesus, we have a free resource for you called Following Jesus. To receive a copy, send a request to info at nh4gj.org. If you would like to partner with our ministry through giving, you can do that online at nhgj.org giving or by mail to 641 Horizon Drive, Grand Junction, Colorado, 81506. Thank you for being with us and may the Lord bless you.